The following Truth Barista podcast is a High Beam Ministry production. The shadow pandemic is the name the United Nations has given to the rise of violence against women over the past year. And while the abuse of women long predates COVID, this time women around the globe have taken to the streets and are raising their collective voices to say enough. ABC's Maggie Rooley brings us this report. For months, Margarita Grisheva went to physical therapy. On a snowy day in December in 2017, her then-husband drove her into the woods in Russia, where, enraged by her threats of divorce, he used an axe to chop off her hands. Doctors were able to reattach her left hand, although it has minimal use, but not her right. She's had to learn how to use a prosthetic. At least 155 countries have passed laws criminalizing domestic violence. Welcome to the Airzats Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your truth barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M ministry.com, as in car high beam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. Truth Barista, it's another day in the anointed booth, as we've labeled it. And uh, we've been talking about misogyny. Wow, that's a big word. Do you you need some medication for that? (laughs) No, you know, we've been hearing people come into the coffee house saying, well, God is a misogynist. You know, Christianity is a male religion. You know, females are put down. They're second-class citizens. And and so we've been unpacking, you've been unpacking the scriptures saying, no, no, no. God has always protected women in the law and the New Testament. And so we're going to continue that discussion today, right? Absolutely. I find it totally fascinating when I finally dove into the Old Testament scriptures, and you know my fascination and my appreciation and my love for them, that you go through this and you're thinking, oh, from the very beginning, God created men and women to be co-equal partners and not And it was only after the fall that you got that man as the head of a woman thing. And then when you get to the final end with the new covenant, Jesus is restoring that original pattern. And then you get to Paul and Paul is saying, yeah, you need to submit one to another. And you begin to reflect, oh, under the new covenant, it returns it to the original pattern. Mm -hmm. Men and women are to be working shoulder to shoulder. This is great. Anyway, (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're all excited because that means we're going to have a great talk today. Let me butt in. You know, I am excited about this because I'm tired of the church and Christians being abused by this misinformation and deliberate disinformation Mm -hmm. of the world saying that Christianity hates women. God hates women and that we don't. Therefore, since God hates women, we can do away with God Mm -hmm. and let's just do this radical feminism over here or any of this other garbage. No, God is women's champion. Well, you know, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you know what I've been learning as you've been teaching these things? I mean, men are a big problem. I mean, they they seemingly start everything, and they're the ones that are often the abusers. And I mean, we've got a problem as men. 
don't we? Well, that seems to be an issue. In certain ways, yeah, men definitely have a problem because we let our passions run wild and we follow our passions. But that doesn't mean women are innocent either. Okay, let's spin this around. Well, that's true. but You know, I mean, men have their issues. Women have their issues because like you said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So because of that, God has to give us parameters to keep us back in line with what he intends. And if I can segue this in, this is exactly what why you and I are studying these scriptures, because God through these scriptures are saying, man, you've been abusing these women under these cultural conditions. So now I'm going to give you guidelines and parameters that are going to push you together as a couple and prevent you men from abusing the women in your lives. Well, and that's what I'm trying to say is that women never sell their husbands like, you know, what we're going to talk about today. Men are always trying to find out ways to get out of marriage or or, you know, prove things that the woman is doing wrong. And it, it never goes the other way in terms of what we're going to talk about. That's why I mean, men are a problem. <laughs> we, should, we should entitle the entire Bible's discussion, men are pigs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's well, the least of it. Anyway. That's the least of it. Okay. Well, what we talked about last week, if you remember this, we were talking about this whole idea of, well, gosh, God allows women to be sold to a man. The upshot of the entire scripture that we talked about in Exodus 21 is this is not a slavery issue. It's an indentured servant issue. It's when a a woman from a destitute family, a daughter, the father wants to marry her off because that's her future and that's the family's lineage. Well, on the other hand, they may be destitute and there might be another family that says, hey, we got a, a son here or there's a man here that wants to find a wife. So the context of Exodus 21 isn't slavery. It's actually kind of like a, a probationary period for a prospective spouse. And it says it right there in Exodus 21. If he has purchased her, which is like a bride price, if she has indentured herself to him for a purpose, which is to be a wife, mm. or if he has purchased her for his son. Okay, this again, it's not slavery. We're not at 1865 and slaves on a trading block. Okay, we're talking about women who are indenturing themselves as prospective spouses. And even within that context, the guy says, and you can't abuse them, you have to protect them. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't work out, you still have to protect them and send them off because you've already, she's fulfilled her contract, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and that's why God does have parameters. I mean, that's what you were talking about. But let's let's talk a little bit further then about female slaves, okay? I mean, you're saying slaves, but it's really a concubine or are we talking about a slave? Because in Deuteronomy 21.11, it says, uh, it talks about females going to war, for example. Captured in battle, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, so what do we do with them? Here's what it says. If you see a beautiful woman among the captives, desire her and want to take her as your wife, you are to bring her into your house. She is to shave her head. <laughs> wow. And trim her nails. Remove her. That's the... so she won't scratch your eyes out. <laughs> yeah. Well, remo- oh, we'll cover that. Yeah, we will. Remove the clothes she was wearing when she was taken prisoner, live in your house, and mourn her father and mother for a full month. 
Now, after that, you may have sexual relations with her and be her husband and she will be your wife. Then, if you are not satisfied with her, you are to let her go where she wants, but you must not sell her or treat her as merchandise because you have humiliated her. I mean, I'm confused. I mean, yes, you're not to sell her and you're not to uh, abuse her in that way, but isn't she sort of like already been abused? She's a slave. You're shaving her head. I mean, come on. Cutting her nails. I mean, really, Truth Barista, doesn't it sound like she's already kind of being taken advantage of being a captive? Okay, good point, good question. In the heat of battle, after everything is all done, let's say the city or the town has been destroyed, and here's a woman among the captives. Well, what's she going to go back to? Her father and mother are dead. Her family and her home are destroyed. Her community is destroyed. So in a sense, this is almost a merciful thing that an Israelite man would take an interest in her? Okay, I'm not saying that that's what we should do, But here is a man who is extending, in a sense, mercy to her by selecting her for a purpose. And once again, it's more than just sex. I'm telling you that. So in this scripture that you just read, do you see any permission from the Lord here that allows the man to use and abuse this female captive as a slave in any manner? Well, no, I don't think so. I don't know why you're cutting her hair to identify herself as something other than just a normal woman. I mean, why cut the hair? Very good. That's a perfect observation. That's where we're going. Okay, so the context of this whole thing is the process is, again, she is a marriage candidate. This is not to just use her as a sex object. It's to be a wife. Okay, so how is she to be treated? She is allowed to be treated as an equal. Wouldn't you allow a person who has lost their family to grieve? Of course you would. So the Lord is doing a couple of things here with this whole head shaving and nail cutting, etc. The woman shaves her head and trims her nails. Those are signs of grief. Those are cultural actions of grief. Removing her clothing of capture is to remove the stigma of being a captive. This implies that the man now clothes her with his own clothing, you know, from his own house. He is covering her with clothing. He's covering her with a home. So she is not left exposed to the elements. This is the decent, hospitable thing to do. Finally, he allows her a focused and undisturbed time to grieve. This is the Lord commanding the man. Oh, okay. You see a hottie among all the captives. You can't just take her and rape her. That's the way the world does things. Instead, you are to leave her alone for a month. You are allowed to, or you are commanded to allow her to grieve through the cultural grief practices of the day, shaving her head, trimming her nails, which are a sign of beauty, by the way, and grieving for her mother and their father. In the meantime, you've taken her into her house. You've clothed her. You're feeding her during this whole time, and you have to leave her alone. Notice it says, after that, you may take her as your wife. So the Lord is actually standing between the lusts of a man and the vulnerability and grief of a woman and telling the man to back off. 
and allow the grieving process to happen. Right. Does that make sense to you? Well, it really does, because you're right in the world, you know, during different wars that we've had in our era, like the Germans, they were taking advantage of, you know, the countries that they were taking over during World War Two. So this makes a lot of sense. But explain one more thing to me. Wasn't a prostitute also shaved a head? They they used to shave the head of prostitutes to identify them as such, or am I wrong? I'm not entirely sure on that. I believe that's more of a New Testament Greek-Roman okay. process. Okay. I, I'm I not just, sure on that one. Yeah, I knew there was some kind of identification of shaving the head as to identify them as, you know, something that, you know, other than normal womanhood, you know, like a prostitute right. or something, yeah. Well, let, let me continue to explore this marriage candidate thing, because remember, we talked about in Exodus 21, that there are certain responsibility the husband has to the wife. He has to give her food, clothing, and intimacy. Well, for that first 30-day period, God commands him to give her food and clothing. Why? She's in his, she's in his house, and he's not allowed to touch her, that intimacy, until 30 days of grieving has passed. Here's what's also interesting, okay? If she doesn't please the man as her husband, here's another protection. He doesn't get to sell her off for profit, which was allowed in those days in Gentile cultures and shouldn't happen today, which is trafficking. And by the way, you want a real-life example of this? Look at what happens in the Islamic countries, the radical Islamic countries, the Taliban and ISIS. One of the news reports that grieved me is they were warning women after they took Kabul and full control of Afghanistan. They told the women, get off the street. In fact, one of the leaders of the Taliban said, you know, my men are not trained to to treat a woman rightly. So you better, you know, stay out of their way, because if you get in their way, they have full rights to rape you, regardless of whether you're married or not. And if they if you happen to be married, they'll kill your husband and they'll take you. And after that, you get to be their sex slave. And I'm going compared to that. This is heaven on earth here for a captive woman. You know, so, this is really good stuff, Truth Barista. I mean, I'm I'm just taking it all in, and I, you know what, I'm going to need to to continue on to calm down with a cup of high test. Oh yes, I I just really do. So let's just pause for a moment, and we'll be right back. The Truth Barista podcast, set in the imaginary Erzatz coffee shop next to Big Brain University, the Truth Barista podcast tackles a plethora of scintillating topics. <laughs> We don't shy away from controversy, whether it's current cultural issues, questions about Bible verses, or even just some banter to encourage you. Jay the Truth Barista and Amazing Larry brew up highly caffeinated talk times. We are two wild and crazy guys! Grab a cup of joe, plop yourself down in the booth next to us, and get ready to think. The Truth Barista Podcast, a production of High Beam Ministry, highbeamministry.com. The first step in anything is knowing the truth. Knowing the truth about God is what we do in every podcast here on The Truth Barista. The next step is yours and what you do about it. We are The Truth Barista, a production of HighBeamMinistry.com. Thanks for bringing the coffee. I appreciate it. To refresh you, we're talking about God's 
setting boundaries of a man who has taken a female slave and he wants to marry her. And he says, you get food, you get clothing, and you have to protect her during her 30 day of grieving. After that time period, she can become your wife. If she becomes displeasing to you, let's say she totally rejects you as a husband or, or there's some other reason you can't traffic her. You can't just cut her loose either. Yeah. I mean, you have to let her go where she will. You can't seller. So there was no binding marriage ritual or anything like Moses had given to the children of Israel for divorce. I mean, they didn't have to go through any of that then, right? Not in the case of a Gentile female slave. We're going to look at that next. Okay. The whole binding thing here. But let me point out something else too. Not only is shaving the head, cutting the nails kind of a grief process and and grieving for father and mother, but the hair is a woman's beauty and her nails are a beautiful thing. So what happens is, you know, it's funny how the man looks at the woman and said, man, she's hot. So what does the Lord do? Well, let's see what you think of her when she doesn't have her hair and her nails done. You still want her? Okay, so what the Lord is doing is he is forcing the man to look at her realistically. And in a sense, the rabbis, I think a little tongue in cheek here are saying, well, the Lord is allowing her to be ugly, so to speak, in order to calm or throw water on the man's desires. Wow, that's pretty cool. Kind of bring him back to reality. You sure you really want her? It's like a cold shower, right? Exactly. You know, it's kind of like the whole beer goggle thing, you know, the, the evening before in the, in the bar, you know, beer kind of wrecks your vision and mm-hmm. hey, she's really hot. And in the morning, the beer goggles are gone and the man rolls over. Well, that took a different twist, but uh... <laughs> reality sets in. Okay. So really what God is doing is, is he's calming the lust driven man to see things realistically. He's deflating his infatuation. And again, just compare it with how radical Islam treats women today as chattel and sex slaves. And you see precisely why a loving, gracious God would put these parameters in place. Okay. Now here's another one. Exodus 21. There are laws in Exodus 21 of restitution for injury. And even though the injured party is a slave, male or female, the restitution is identical. Men don't get more. Women are not worth less. Okay. And by the way, in Exodus 21, the context of that particular law is a Gentile slave. Again, you can't make a slave of a fellow Israelite. So this is another protection from abuse. Now, you brought up the point about violations of the marriage agreement, right? And his divorce. Mm -hmm. I mean, if he's marrying her, isn't there some sort of a ritual or something that has to take place and has to be undone or not? Well, no, not really. It doesn't need to be undone, but there are protections in place. I want you to turn your Bible to Deuteronomy, and I'm doing that right now. Okay. 22. Got it. 13 to 21. Okay. It's a neat heading here. It says, violations of proper sexual conduct. (laughs) Well, it's a little bit more than that. It's about violations of proper marriage conduct. So, for example, here it says in verse 3, if a man marries a woman, has sexual relations with her, and comes to hate her, and accuses her of shameful conduct, and gives her a bad name saying, I married this woman and was intimate with her, but I didn't find any evidence of her virginity. The young woman's father and mother will take the evidence of her virginity and bring it to the city elders at the city gate. In other words, it's now become an official court case. The young woman's father will say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as a wife, but he hates her. 
He has accused her of shameful conduct, saying, no, I didn't find any evidence of your daughter's virginity, but here's the evidence of my daughter's virginity. They'll spread out the cloth for the city elders. Then the elders of that city will take the man and punish him. They will also find him a hundred silver shekels, give them to the young woman's father, because that man gave an Israelite virgin a bad name. She'll remain his wife. He cannot divorce her as long as he lives. But if this accusation is true and no evidence of the woman's virginity is found, they'll bring her to the woman to the door of the father's house and the men of the city will stone her to death for she has committed an outrage in Israel by being promiscuous while living in her father's house. You must purge the evil from you. Okay. The, this is amazing. Okay. A guy marries a woman family purity, by the way, is still highly prized in the Jewish community today. The woman staying pure, purifying herself from her menstrual period, making sure that the relationship between the man and the, the wife is remains pure and right. God places a lot of boundaries around this area of marriage, equally protecting the woman from abuse. And this is the case here. Virginity is prized, especially in ancient Israel, because it clarifies and ensures family lines. Imagine if a man marries a woman, she's not a virgin, but has already had a child, then that child can inherit the man's estate. And if she's of a different family line, that child is, that estate then transfers the other direction. Okay, so here's another one. If she's not a virgin and he marries her, there's no understand, there's no assurance she doesn't have a child. So this is why you these men are looking for virgins. There's it it ensures the case that there's no question about potential inheritance. Now, what's this evidence of virginity? Well, that's the bloodstained fabric or something from the wedding night that proves the woman's hymen was intact and affected during the couple's first night together. It becomes a safeguard that the wife's family keeps in storage. So if this accusation ever comes up, they can go, uh-uh, no, no, no. This is evidence of the of the marriage night. Now, we think this is like, oh, yeah, that's so, uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, this is how important these things were. And this was the assurance of families to make sure that inheritance and property stayed within family and everything was done rightly. Yes. I love this. I mean, it, it really shows a lot of cultural forethought in, in, you know, in Israel at that time. But again, when people charge God being misogynistic or Christianity being misogynistic, I mean, this is kind of a, a case for it because a woman has got to go through all these hoops and a man does nothing. What is the oh. test? What is the test for a male virginity? I mean, doesn't that hold true for him as much as it does for her? It doesn't. It doesn't. However, the man is at risk of losing his inheritance in different directions if he's promiscuous. So there is that issue as well. So the man would take care, hopefully, to guard his own inheritance and the inheritance of his children. But again, you're right. Culturally, at that time, there was not this type of assurance of virginity, just the women were. Again, the Torah, the law, is not setting the culture. It's recognizing the culture and then putting the boundaries within that culture so the women are not abused. In this particular case, which is amazing, 
if the man's accusation is false, he has to pay a huge sum of silver for damaging his wife and her family's reputation. And furthermore, he is locked into marriage for the rest of his life. I was going to say that. Yeah, he's stuck. (laughs) Even though the Torah does allow for divorce for certain circumstances, this man is completely out of luck at this point. So even if he, I mean, remember, he hates her, but now he's stuck with her for life and he owes her food, clothing, and marital relations. It's like, oh my gosh. In a sense, now the woman is in the driver's seat. And that is another proof that God protects women. Exactly. Now, here's something. If it's proven true, then the consequence for adultery stoning is levied against her. That's terrible. They stoned the woman. What about the man? Well, Read the rest of the Torah because it says not only do you stone the woman, you stone the man who did it. So if the woman is found guilty of adultery, then they're going to go back and they're going to search for the guy that shamed her family. And that particular execution applies to him as well. Okay, so if you read on, there's an engagement situation. You know, what if a man rapes a woman in a city? Okay, well, both of them are stoned. And you go, why would both of them be stoned if he raped her? Well, the rabbi said, simple. If she's raped in the city, there's people around. She could have cried out for help. If she didn't cry out for help, it's likely not rape. It's a false accusation to cover a sexual dalliance, so to speak. And the Torah says, well, what if she's raped out in the country? Well, now the man takes the punishment, but she doesn't. Why? Because out in the country, nobody hears her scream or call for help. So now she's automatically protected. He's the one that gets the punishment. So the moral of the story, if you're going to create rape, do it in the city where there's lots of witnesses. Why would you? <laughs> what, what I don't understand with that is, is that poor woman, even if she did cry out and nobody came to her aid, she still dies. The point is, is that, yeah, if the woman cries out, that is something she's done that's happened in the act that calls for justice to kick into gear. I mean, how many accusations have been levied against men of rape and then one on further notice you realize oh that was just something to get money out of the guy right or it was meant to harm their reputation that's or to guard the one. oh i didn't do this i was raped well i'm not defending rape in the least i'm attacking the women that use rape mm-hmm. as an excuse that harms men in fact you can go back to the whole incident with north carolina the woman that accused the, I think it was four guys of rape. And then you find out later, it was totally untrue. So in a sense, that's the protection for men. Okay. Now here's another one. These things were, if a woman was engaged to a man, now you move to what if a man rapes a unengaged woman who happens to be a virgin? Okay. (laughs) And here's the synopsis. The man pays the bride price of 50 shekels of silver. He is obligated to marry her. He must marry her. Why? Because he's violated her. Okay. And he can never, ever, 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 ever divorce her. It's like, so you really want to do that? Okay. Now, congratulations. You're stuck with her. And it's protection all the way around. Why? If violated, she will be less able to marry another person. So if she's violated and quote unquote, now in the eyes of the culture of the day, damaged goods, then the man, in a sense, you break it, you buy it. 
Well, you know, my mind is quickly moving ahead, and I know that you're indicating, obviously, that God in his scripture doesn't endorse this stuff. He's just reporting that what the culture does. But if this happens to a guy and he's just, I mean, he's stuck with her, isn't that a reason to get another wife and, you know, do polygamy stuff? That's true, and the culture allowed it. But then we have to go back to Exodus 21 where it says, okay, so the guy's got a wife and he wants a second wife. Great, he gets a second wife. Right. She is still the first wife, and he still has to give her food, clothing, and sexual relation. Sorry, Mm. he cannot be any less of a wife just because he wants another wife. So there is that protection. And once again, have have you noticed something about all of these laws? They are boundaries to protect the woman against the man's lust. That's correct. Every single one of these is to protect the woman against the man's lust, especially since generally speaking, men are stronger than women. So even if he does overpower her, even if he does seduce her, even if he does take advantage of her, even if she is totally vulnerable to him, God goes, oh, okay, well, now I'm going to put prohibitions around you, sir, to keep you from abusing her and to make sure she is cared for for the rest of her life. So This is amazing. It is amazing. And so we've done a complete cycle where we started. Men are just pigs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Truth Priest, this has been so good. I mean, these are things normally not talked about very often. So I'm glad you're unpacking them and giving us this cultural view. So how do we pull it all together to to walk out with something we can hold on to today. Well, for some of the people that come into the Erzatz coffee shop and accuse God of being a misogynist or hating women, et cetera, I'm going to say this. Don't complain or accuse how apparently unfair the Bible is. Our current culture of sexual conquest, the abuse of women, the abandonment of women is far more unfair. And a guy can impregnate a woman In our society today, he can impregnate a woman and dump her and her child onto the community as he walks away without any responsibility. How might these laws affect our society today if followed? You seduce a woman, congratulations, you've earned a wife for life. If she'll have you, you pig, okay, what if a woman seduces a man? Same thing the other way around. Before we criticize the Bible and hurl accusations against God for abusing women, maybe we should turn our eyes toward our own society first. Right. And maybe we should seriously look at these guidelines as good and gracious and loving guidelines to protect the women and the vulnerable in our society first from the men who want to take advantage of them or the women who want to take advantage of men. You can see that in all of this, God is good. Truth Barista, once again, it's so clear. Thank you. And I can't wait until the next time when we sit in this anointed booth and we begin to unpack the culture of the Bible. Thank you. Truth is getting harder to find today, but there is no shortage of it here on the Truth Barista podcast. Spread the word. We deal with the uncompromised truth in every podcast. We are a high beam ministry production. This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast. The best way to find out when a new podcast drops is through RSS feed. Go to our website, look for the RSS button, press it, and then enter your email. You'll be notified when a new podcast drops. Thanks for listening.